I'm Toby Logsdon, and this is your weekly Fix of Wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Lesson 1. In Proverbs chapter 6, verses 12 to 15, Solomon writes, A worthless person, a wicked man, is the one who walks with a perverse mouth, who winks with his eyes, who signals with his feet, who points with his fingers, who with perversity in his heart continually devises evil, who spreads strife. Therefore his calamity will come suddenly. Instantly he will be broken, and there will be no healing. Solomon has been spending the passages leading up to our passage today trying to impute wisdom to his sons. He's shown that wisdom can keep us from making poor financial decisions, and that wisdom is like a shot of adrenaline to the lazy-hearted. In our passage today, Solomon also demonstrates that wisdom can and will guide us away from wicked and criminal behavioral patterns. In verses 12 and 13 here, Solomon describes the characteristic deeds of what he refers to as a worthless person, a wicked man. The word that Solomon used, which gets translated as wicked here, comes from a root word, which means that which destroys all that is good. This is a pretty strong indication that Solomon had corruption in mind here, the type of person who says something that they don't mean as a way of manipulating people. In the book, The Message, a paraphrase of the Bible by Eugene Peterson, this verse is rendered, riffraff and rascals talk out both sides of their mouths. Perhaps it's with this understanding in mind that the Apostle James wrote, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. The person who says one thing and yet means another cannot and should not be trusted. When Jesus was giving the famous Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, he said, let your yes be yes and your no be no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. In other words, the righteous person says what they mean and they don't seek to deceive anyone. The person who talks out both sides of their mouth has secret methods of communication that the average person might not catch on to. Body language. Solomon tells us that this person winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, and points with his fingers. Only a hand-picked, maybe select few would know what these various gestures are actually communicating. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 10, the wink is revealed to be malicious, and it's revealed to be a sign of perversity in chapter 16, verse 30. While such a two-faced person might fool the masses, they won't succeed in fooling the Lord. We may not know what these things are specifically communicating, but one thing we do know for certain is that it clearly communicates the evil intent which flows from an evil heart. This evil heart is the next characteristic that's evident in the wicked person. Solomon tells us that they have perversity in their heart. This word perversity is actually frequently used to describe crooked speech in the book of Proverbs. Obviously, that speech has to come from somewhere. Solomon tells us that it flows from their heart. Finally, Solomon describes the fate of such a person. He says that their calamity will come suddenly. You see, people who talk out of both sides of their mouths aren't completely trusted by anyone, not even their closest confidants who know their ways and who probably know what they're secretly communicating with these gestures. This person makes more enemies than they know what to do with, and even those who appear loyal to them will scatter when given a chance to receive more power under someone else's wing. The psalmist who wrote Psalm 73 reflects on how he was on this very path, the path that Solomon's describing. And then we come to verse 17 in Psalm 73, where we read of his turning point. He writes, Until I came into the sanctuary of God, then I perceived their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. The person who speaks out of both sides of their mouth will be wise to turn away from their sin and speak truthfully. Wisdom doesn't make room for anything else.
This concludes Lesson 1. Lesson 2. In Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 19, Solomon writes, There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. Solomon has spent the passages in chapter 6 leading up to this point explaining how wisdom will prevent us from making bad financial decisions, from being lazy, and from mischievous behavioral patterns. In our previous lesson, Solomon described six qualities which characterize the wicked person. He's continuing to talk about the wicked person in our passage today, but does so by taking the spotlight off of the person and putting God in the spotlight instead. For the person who's truly wise, the Lord's reaction and the Lord's feelings towards such a person are significant and thus punctuate this principle with an exclamation point. We might be tempted to believe that God sees the wicked man and doesn't have feelings either way about their actions. After all, it appears, from our perspective, that God is simply standing by as the wicked person destroys more and more lives around them. And thus we might wonder if God is actually giving them a green light or looking the other way, so to speak. Solomon brings correction to such thinking, however, telling us that God hates the ways of the wicked man. The Hebrew expression, six things... Yes, seven. Doesn't limit the number to seven, actually. Instead, in the Hebrew language, it was a figure of speech used to indicate that the list being given isn't exhaustive. So that there's no room for doubt or confusion, the Lord hates anything which stands opposed to his righteousness. A holy God won't accept anything less than 100% pure righteousness for the same reason that a wise person won't accept a glass of liquid that's 99.9% pure drinking water and 0.1% cyanide. Solomon tells us that God hates haughty eyes. This represents a prideful, rebellious person who, as we would say today, looks down their nose at other people. This person has convinced themselves that they are better than everyone else, that they're superior to others, and they have more value than other people. They think of themselves first in all things. To the contrary, Jesus taught us to serve others, and Paul taught us to think of others more highly than ourselves. Next, the second thing that he tells us is that the Lord hates a lying tongue. As we discussed in our previous lesson, the person who says one thing but means something else doesn't fool God, and their words have an evil origin. The Bible teaches us that Satan is the father of lies. That's from John chapter 8, verse 44, and that the child learns to behave like their father. To the contrary, however, Jesus said, I am the truth from John 14.6. Next, Solomon tells us that God hates hands that shed innocent blood. Of course, the only truly innocent blood is the blood of Jesus, which was poured out on the cross at Calvary. The punishment for every sin was cast on him there, and it was for this reason that his blood was shed. And so thus, every sin that we commit actually sheds innocent blood, because our sins needed to be paid for. The hands of Jesus, on the other hand, reached out and touched those who needed to be healed. This covers the first three things that God hates. Be sure to tune in for our next lesson when we'll discuss the final four things that Solomon tells us God hates. This concludes Lesson 2. Lesson 3. In Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 19, Solomon writes, There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers.
In part one of our look at this passage, we covered the first three of these things, which Solomon tells us the Lord hates. As we established in that lesson, this isn't an exhaustive list by any means, but it's a good start and reveals the nature of God as being perfectly righteous, holy, and just. The fourth thing that Solomon tells us that God hates is a heart that devises wicked plans. The heart is extremely important to God, and in the Bible it represents the source of a man's deeds and actions. When a mouth speaks evil, for example, Jesus tells us that it's because their heart is overflowing with evil. In Genesis chapter 6 verse 5, we read, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. This aroused God's wrath to such an extent that he had to destroy all of humanity with the exception of Noah and his family in order to restore it. We know that Adam lived for 930 years, which was certainly long enough to see just how quickly the world had fallen from a state of perfection to a state of continual evil. It was because the hearts of all of mankind were constantly devising evil. Against this trend, David wrote, Create in me a clean heart, O God. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The heart is very important to God. The fifth thing that Solomon tells us that God hates is feet that run rapidly to evil. Here we have a picture of someone who has devised an evil scheme in their heart, and there's no hesitation on their behalf in seeing their schemes played out. They show absolutely no resistance against the temptation to carry out some type of sinful action. Instead, as they plot and scheme, they become more and more eager to engage in that sin. And yet Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, and Paul wrote, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The sixth thing that Solomon tells us that God hates is a false witness who utters lies. We tend to trust the testimony of a credible and reliable eyewitness more than almost anything else. When a person who is deemed to be credible is corrupted and decides to lie about what they've seen, they can have an enormous amount of influence on what people believe truly happened. When Jesus was being tried by the authorities, for example, Matthew chapter 26 verse 60 tells us that the Jewish leaders brought false witnesses in to testify against Jesus in this legal setting. In stark contrast to the lying witness, the apostle John describes Jesus in Revelation chapter 1 verse 5 as a faithful witness. Finally, Solomon tells us that God hates one who spreads strife among brothers. Think about all the conflicts between brothers in the Bible. Cain and Abel, Ishmael and Isaac, Esau and Jacob, the sons of Jacob and their brother Joseph. I mean, the list is pretty extensive. Jesus, on the other hand, said that believers would be known by their love for one another and prayed that they would be one just as he and the Father are one. In this type of oneness, there's perfect unity and harmony and absolutely no strife exists. The fact that Jesus prayed for this in his final hour emphasizes what Solomon's trying to tell us here today, that unity and relational harmony are very important to God. This concludes Lesson 3. Lesson 4. In Proverbs chapter 6, verses 20 to 22, Solomon writes, My son, observe the commandment of your father, and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk to you. You know, God takes the role of parenting very, very seriously. Here, as we've seen before, Solomon is embracing the role of each parent, calling the child to pay attention to the instruction of both the mother and the father alike. Parenting is a very 
difficult responsibility, and it's not for the faint-hearted. Each stage of parenting gives you the impression that your children are in the stage that's most difficult or challenging for the parent, but as the child progresses from an infant to a toddler, or from a toddler to a young child, or from a young child to an adolescent, the parent is likely to find each stage progressively more difficult and coming with its own respective set of challenges. But God takes the role of parenting very, very seriously because God programmed us in a certain way, with a desire to be like that which we behold in the highest esteem. For children, that's the position that the parent has in their eyes. The parents are the people that the child most longs to emulate and imitate. For that reason, the things that a parent teaches to their children are also very, very important. As the people whom the child most looks up to, the parents speak words that a child will hold on to, for better or for worse. That's why it's crucial to speak encouraging words to our children on a regular basis. That's why a child's low self-esteem can usually be traced back to what a parent has spoken into their children's hearts and minds. Solomon is instructing the children to hold on to and embrace the godly teachings of their parents. He tells us that the result of doing so will be threefold. He says, When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk to you. First, the instruction from godly parents will guide the child while they're walking about. This isn't talking about someone who's consciously meditating or thinking about what their parents have told them. Rather, the child has the godly values and principles that they received from their parents built into who they are. It's foundational to who they are. Just as you can take a single strand of hair by microscopic analysis and figure out what type of diet a person was taking in any given period of time, so too the godly instruction becomes a part of who the child is, even when they're not consciously thinking about what the parents have said. Secondly, while the child is sleeping, these godly principles will watch over the child. One of the main causes of insomnia is anxiety. And I can assure you, friends, that the greatest cure for anxiety isn't a medication of any kind. Rather, it's trusting wholeheartedly in the Lord. The person who trusts in the Lord can sleep just as soundly under a bridge as they can in a bed made for a king. The child who learns early on to trust in the Lord with all of their heart will undoubtedly be a sound sleeper. Third and finally, Solomon tells us that when the child is awake, the instruction of godly principles will talk to the child. The words which you speak to your child make an impression on them, a strong impression. There are many things that you'll say that your children will be so strongly molded by that they'll likely remember the moment, the setting, the tone, and the circumstances which contextualize those words. For this reason, parents have the critical responsibility of making sure that they're giving their children godly instruction on a regular basis. It creates the lenses through which they'll see the world, themselves, and God. I'm Toby Logsdon, and this has been your weekly Fix of Wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus.